Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Level Ground Podcast. I'm your host, Grayson Seegers. Many of you know me, some of you may not, and that's okay if you don't, because here in a little while, we'll get to know, or you'll get to know, who I am, and we're really, really excited. After a lot of planning, a lot of studying, a lot of fiddling with a computer, a lot of putting tracks together and a lot of playing with recording instruments and talking to people to figure out how to do this. Finally, hopefully, we've got it figured out to where we can get something that's halfway decent to listen to. Um, But that being said, I told you, you may not know me, so if you don't, I'm going to tell you a little bit about me. I'm 24 years old, live in North Georgia, and born and raised in Gillsville. And my dad, he was a pastor. My whole life, that's all I remember is him being a pastor. Um, Pastored, I think he's pastoring his fifth church now. And so that was the life that I grew up in, was going to all these different churches as he would help in revival and uh, as the ones that he would pastor at. And then, of course, we had our home church, and we would go there when we could and and visit other people's revivals and, and everything. Church was my life and has always been my life, and I, I know nothing different. Um, but when I was born, I was born with something called brachial cleft cysts. And what that is, is there are cysts, on were cysts on my neck that had roots on them. And the doctors told Mama and Daddy that um, they would go to my vocal cords and possibly my eardrums, and that they were going to do pretty much an experimental surgery, and chances were that I wouldn't be able to talk or I wouldn't be able to hear. And um, So they began to pray and began to ask God to help with that, and, um, and he did, clearly, because I'm here now talking to you, and, and I can hear just fine when I want to. Um, and, and then you fast forward a few years, and they diagnosed me with a condition called aortic stenosis. And quite simply put, that's when one of the valves of your heart doesn't work right. And it's actually the, the condition that football players have when they just drop dead on the field. And, and I had that. The doctors told mom and daddy, said, you know, you um, – you gotta wash if he gets cut. You gotta wash his wound a certain way. If if he gets uh, if he gets sick, you have to take care of him a certain way. If he play, he cannot play contact sports. He can't wrestle. He can't play football. He can't do this. He can't do that. And and there was a, a just a sickly sickly child for years, and which caused me to have a very weak immune system, and that weak immune system put me in the hospital twice. Um, bronchitis one time pneumonia the other and our doctor come in and, and looked at my mom and daddy said if you want Grayson to live you'll homeschool him so they prayed about it talked about it and they decided they would homeschool me and and yes I am a homeschool nerd I, I'm not even going to deny that but um, I'm thankful for it uh, it kept me out of a lot of trouble kept me out of some places that I, I would have ended up had I not been, and, and I'm proud of that. Um, but fast forward a few years, and, and you get me as a 10-year-old boy, and at this point they had told Mama that um, 
I would be needing an open heart surgery around this age age frame. And so what Mama did was took me to the cardiologist, walked in, and the cardiologist looked and, and said, Miss Seegers, we want you to sit down. And so she sat down thinking, presumably, oh, Lord, you know, this is it. He's going to have to have open heart surgery. And she said, I don't know how to explain this to you, but Grayson's aortic stenosis is gone. And as a 10-year-old boy, I didn't realize the magnitude of what had happened. I didn't realize that that things were changed for me forever. And even the doctor said, I can't explain this. This doesn't happen. These, these things don't happen. And even me, myself, didn't understand, but my mom and my dad understood. And then later, as I got a little older, I would grow to understand and uh, as a nine-year-old boy, I was sitting at the Georgia Baptist Conference Center in Toccoa, Georgia, my home church, welcome home at the time, uh, would go to church camp every year. And this was the first year that we had went, and uh, I was there at nine years old, and I was sitting in a room, and all of a sudden, I knew that if I died, I would go to hell. And, and I knew that God was convicting me dealing with my heart about being saved and uh, being born again. and I got scared. I mean, growing up in churches and how I did and, and, and everything, I, I knew what hell was. And I knew I didn't want to go there, but I was embarrassed. And I thought, well, maybe I can get it when I want to. Maybe I can get it some other time. And so I ran from it for three years. And every time God would come to me and deal with me, I would turn and I would go the other way. And then finally, one day, God got my attention. And I was laying in bed, and this sounds absolutely crazy, but this is my story, and I'm sticking to it. Um, I was laying in bed, and it was about 4 in the morning. I couldn't sleep. I was scared to death. And all of a sudden, I could have swore that I heard a trumpet blast and I'd heard all my life that one of these days the trumpet's going to sound and the Lord's going to return and, and and everything and and that's what I thought was happening and I thought Lord don't let me die and go to hell and it seemed like God wouldn't be within a thousand miles of me about a week later we went back to church camp in 2010 to the same place and I was sitting there that night. They was getting ready to start service, and there was a girl walked in, and she had got filled with the Holy Ghost and was shouting and praising the Lord, and and it just sat on the church. And what for everybody else was con uh, was the Spirit and was feeling good for me was conviction and dread and, and a heaviness and fear. And I sat there, and I said, Lord, I, I, I can't go, I can't go, I can't go. And I started crying. And then I looked up, and one of the boys that uh, we go, we went to church with at the time that I was friends with got up, and, and he went and got saved. And then I realized that everybody that I was in that room with at church camp and that I was friends with, they'd all made a, made a profession. And there I was, the only one without one. And so I looked up at Daddy, and he said, Son, what's wrong? And I said, Daddy, I'm lost. And I said, I'm the only one 
in our church camp room that hasn't been saved. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes, and he turned his head. And my mama, she come by, and she just bowed down next to me and prayed right there next to me. And I was scared to death. But for the first time ever, I felt truly alone. I felt like everybody had turned their backs on me, and I was... I was by myself, and nobody loved me. Nobody cared about me. And all I could think was, I'm going to hell. I'm going to hell. I'm going to hell. And I don't want to go there. And so I bowed my head, and I said, God, if you really want to save me, and tonight is really my night to get saved, then you send somebody to hug me and somebody to grab me by the, uh, the hand and take me down to pray. And... I had no more than got those words out of my mouth. And somebody come around the corner, give me a hug, and said, Grayson, I love you. I can't wait till you get saved. And I thought, oh, my Lord. Surely God didn't hear me. And then right after that, my cousin came, grabbed me by the hand, and he said, Grayson, I need you to pray for me. Well, I knew in that instant I couldn't pray for anybody but myself. And I ran up the aisle, and I fell underneath the table, slid underneath the table, actually, and bowed my head there and began to cry out to God and beg him that he would save me. And I told him he could take this thing that I had. He could take that thing that I had. He could take my uh, my toys. He could take my PlayStation 2, and, and I loved that thing. I would play Guitar Hero all the time, and that was probably my favorite possession that I had. Yet, God didn't want it. And the only thing God wanted was my heart. And finally, I had prayed everything I knew how to pray, felt hopeless, and I remembered what my mama said when she got saved and what her testimony was. And she said when she had prayed all that she knew how to pray, she said, Lord, if you don't save me, I'm going to die and I'm going to go to hell. And I thought, well, I have tried everything else. I've prayed everything else. I have, um, I have cried out as much as I could. I'm going to try this one more thing, and if God don't save me, then I guess I ain't getting saved. And so I bowed my head, and I took a deep breath, and I cried, and I said, God, if you don't save me, I'm going to die, and I'm going to go to hell. And when that happened, I felt something hit me in the center of my chest, go to the tips of my fingers, to the ends of my toes, to the top of my head, and I felt a love that I had never felt before in my life. And I said, well, God, is, is this what being saved is really like? If it is, then you send that feeling again. And he sent that feeling again. And you might be saying, well, Grayson, I, that sounds like a fairy tale. That sounds made up. It did to me too until I experienced it. Um, you might be saying, well, Grayson, when I got saved, I didn't feel no big flashlights and uh, didn't feel no uh, great, grand, and glorious change in me. Well, not everybody does. But I had lived in such a way and tried to do without God so much. And I, I believe to my dying day there was so much sin and evil in my 12-year-old mind. And I didn't do anything bad. I just didn't want to be around God. Even though my daddy was a pastor, even though I was raised, that's what we needed to do. I still didn't want to have nothing to do with Jesus Christ at all. But in that moment, I realized that all those times of being scared, all those times of being worried, they were for nothing. 
then after that, I realized what God had done for me, how he had helped me, and I was able to talk, and I was able to hear, and my heart problem had, had went away, and he had healed me of that. And, and then I realized that God had wrought a work in me, a special, special work. And, and even now, I don't understand it. Twelve years later, I, I, I don't understand why God done any of it except for because of his grace and his love and his mercy. And he looked down on me and he wanted to impart something to me and impart his love unto me. And, and the Bible says in one place, and I can't remember it right now off the top of my head, it says, to whom much is given, much is required. And I was given a lot. And I had heard that and I, I didn't think nothing about it. And then one day, we were at revival at a church that my dad pastored um, called Whitehall Baptist Church. And we were there, and somebody had gotten saved. And when they did, something come over me, and I stood up and I testified. I don't even remember what I said. I stood up and I testified, and I felt empty when I did it. And then I went home and I prayed. I said, God, why do I feel this way? And God said, I'm calling you to preach. You need to announce your preacher coming. And I struggled with it. I toiled with it all night. And I, I said, God, I'll do anything. I'll lead singing. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be a Sunday school teacher. And I'll do this in the church when I get older. And I'll do that in the church when I get older. Just I want to do anything but preach because I was a shy and backwards kid. I didn't want to talk to nobody uh, unless I knew you and was close to you. And if I didn't know you weren't close to you, I'd be hard-pressed to get any words out of me. And finally, I opened my Bible to the first chapter of Jeremiah. And the Lord told Jeremiah, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. And it resonated in, in my heart, and especially when Jeremiah said back to God, Whoa, Lord, I cannot speak, for I am a child. And the Lord told him, said, be not afraid of their faces. And I knew, in a way, Jeremiah was exactly in the same shape that I was in. And I thought, here he is. He's one of the prophets that everybody in Israel looked to. And he felt this way too. And I took a deep breath, and God just resonated that verse in my mind, to whom much is given, much is required. And I said, all right, Lord, I'll do it. I said, just give me the grace. And I spent the rest of the night as a 14-year-old boy praying that God would give me the grace to carry his word. And I accepted it, and I knew I had to do it. And so we went to revival at Whitehall again that night. And the more service went on, the more spiritual it got, and the more you could feel the Spirit, and the more scared and heavy and burdened I felt till finally it got to the point where I couldn't take it anymore and I jumped up and I read that scripture and I said and, and I I took my Bible and I threw it down on the bench behind me and I said the Lord's called me to preach and when I did the church cut loose to shouting and clapping and crying and my daddy was shouting up and down the aisles and my mama was a squalling and and little did I know that what I had done 
was answered other people's prayers and I had surrendered to the Lord and all the people that I was worried about speaking in front of, they were proud of me. And, and there I was, and, and I, at 14 years old, I, I didn't know anything about it except what I had learned from Daddy. I couldn't drive, couldn't even drive myself to churches when I had an appointment to preach. And all I knew was to go with it, was just to pack up and go with it. Fast forward a few years, you find me on my own driving and, and everything, and, and I was at a welcome home where I was raised at, saved at, baptized at, um, and that was my home church, and that was the place I thought that I would stay at forever, and I would got to the point where I needed something else, and I knew that my time there was over, and God had another job for me somewhere else. So I loaded up, and I went, and the Lord sent me to a church called Yellow Creek. And I went there, and I, I made a bunch of friends, and I and I knew God wanted me there. I didn't know for how long. I didn't know for what purpose. But God put me there, and I rested for a while. Not in preaching, but just as far as church. There wasn't really, in my eyes, any, any job that I could do that could step in and help or anything like that. So I just done my best to to do what God had me to do, help where I could. and But most importantly, I focused on my, my ministry and the ministry God had given me. And next thing you know, I got acquainted with some people that I hadn't heard from in a while. Shane Weehunt, a preacher in the area, I got acquainted, re, reacquainted with him, and he asked me to help him in Spring Revival. And then you go fast forward through there, and I started getting appointments here and appointments there and everything else. And and this was the thought that come to my mind. There's more. There's more. There's more. And I sat back and I studied and I prayed on that thought. And all I could think about was so many times we, we confine ourselves into this little group in our little area, this church, that church, these same five churches, these same ten churches, these same group of people, and that's all we have. But folks, there is more people out there worshiping the Lord than we realize. There's more people on our side fighting with us than we realize. And now more than ever is it a time to stand up for what is right and to do what God has called us to do and to fulfill the Great Commission and to reach the lost with the gospel and to share the gospel with everybody we come across when we can. And I'm not by no means saying shove it down their throat, but when God opens doors, you give it to them. When you see someone that's hungry, you give it to them. Hungry for the gospel, you give it to them. And, and the Bible said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed begging bread. And, and I guarantee you, if you give and you give and you give of yourself, if you ask God, God will give you that bread. And then you fast forward a little bit more a little bit further on down the road and a little bit later on down the road and you find that uh, I'm here and and at, a, at another church and God had led me to another church called Yehula Baptist Church. and I sat there and, and I kept hearing these words, evangelist, 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 evangelist. And people would talk about reaching more people and people would talk about going out and, and just like I did and how you needed to spread the gospel. How do I do that? 
all of a sudden one day I was laying in bed and the Lord said, start a podcast. And I can assure you, and this is going to be a thought on some people's minds, well, Grayson is doing this to make a name for himself, to become famous. I don't care if nobody listens to this. But I'm going to follow God in hopes that some, somewhere, some way out there, that there might be one of the millions upon millions upon millions of people that this podcast could reach that needs Jesus. And if because of something they hear on this podcast leads them to Christ, then I'll raise my hands in the air, say, thank you, God, and I'll go on my way. And, and honestly, I, I, I've had a lot of people talk to me, and they say, well, you ought to get on the radio, and you ought to do this, and you ought to do that. And, and you know as well as I do, the radio is becoming obsolete in this day and time. And in the 21st century, in the year 2023, everybody's switching to digital and everybody's switching to things that's on the Internet. And, and you about have to make anything available on the Internet. So that's where we were at with this. And we knew that there would be people out there that would want to hear him. And then we got to praying even more and we got to thinking and we realized that there's probably young people out here that are around my age, 24, that weren't as blessed as me to come up in a home like I did and, and to be raised the way I was, and they might have questions. And so this isn't just to reach the lost, but this is also to help the saved, and that's what we want to do. We want to genuinely get in there with you and help you, and if we could be of any help through all of this, then you tell us, you let us know, and we'll be more than happy, and we'll give you our contact information at the end of the show. But then we got to sitting down and to praying and studying and trying to figure out what way in the first episode. And we started and we looked and realized that there's a middle ground. Now, before y'all jump the gun and fall out and pass out, I'm not talking about purgatory. But there is a middle ground. You got two sides and and one side is is everything you do is wrong. This sin is wrong and that sin is wrong and this sin is wrong and that sin is wrong and because you do these sins you're going to hell and and because you do these things you you're you're performing abominations in the eyes of God and and they are not wrong. But hear me out. Those folks see it easier to just condemn everybody for what they've done. And to tell them they're doing wrong and to tell them they're not doing right and to tell them, well, you just need to get into church and get saved and you need to quit doing all that stuff because you're living like the devil himself. And in turn, what it does is it makes people never want to step in church. Why? Because there's no love in it. Then you've got another group of people and they're the folks that are, oh, well, Jesus loves you, and he will forgive you, and he will do anything you ask him to do for you, and he will take care of anything. And if you do this, or if you do that, or if you commit this sin, or if you uh, go to this place, or if you talk like this, or act like that, Jesus still loves you, and it'll be okay. Don't worry about what you do, because Jesus still loves you. That is also true. 
but you've got these people here that all they're giving is love and love and love and love and love and and they're not letting anybody know that what they're doing is wrong. So right now in society, we have two groups, and we've got a group of people that want to just tell everybody they're doing wrong, which is causing and ultimately hurting our churches. Because who wants to sit? If I, if I walked into my house every day, and I walked in and I had mama and daddy getting on to me and telling me how bad I was and all that I had done wrong and, and this, that, and other, I'd never want to talk to them again, and I'd never want to step foot back in that house. And I am not justifying sin. Just hear me out. Bear with us. We're, if you'll stick with us, we'll go on a journey. You look at the other group, and, and it's just love, 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 love. And, and I've learned this, that in the mistakes that I've made is how I became the man that I am today. From somebody telling me that it was wrong, but in love. Now, if I had went home to that same my same mom and daddy that I talked about a minute ago, but instead of being angry at me all the time, they just love me all the time, let me do whatever I wanted to do, go wherever I wanted to go, I'd be a spoiled brat, number one. And I'd feel like I was entitled to everything. I would feel like I did no wrong. And then eventually, I wouldn't take heed to anything they said at all if they tried to teach me anything. I'd just say, well, y'all love me. It's okay. I'll go do it. And I'm sure that they do. And I know that they do through it all. But at that point, I hadn't learned anything. That's why I say there's a middle ground. That middle ground is standing firm in between those two. Preaching, teaching, talking, witnessing against sin, but doing every bit of it in love. Doing every bit of your evangelizing. The Bible says to make foolproof the work of an evangelist. To evangelize the world, but to do it sternly and to stand for what is right. The Bible tells us and gives us what is right but also to love people in that and through that and to help them people through that. A lot of these people that are, you take the, the drunk, you take the drug addict, you take these people that are, that are in the jails and these people that are uh, living lives where they've made very bad mistakes, I guarantee you that they've had multiple people come up to them one after the other and tell them what they've done wrong and to be mean to them. But how many people come up to him in love and said, look, even though you've committed this sin, even though you have done this thing, even though you've acted this way, even though you've been this way, Jesus still loves you and I still love you. And what you done was wrong, but Jesus Christ can forgive you. Not say it prideful in you because maybe you haven't done what they've done, but say it humbly. If you look in the Bible, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, it says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, Shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears? They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. 
but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and make full proof of thy ministry. And that's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 in the King James Version. And, and if you look at this, here is given a recipe. And if we break this down, and this is what we're going to do, we're going to break this down and we're going to see where these things fall. And if they fall on one camp, where everything you do is wrong, or if they're going to fall in the other camp, well, it's okay because Jesus loves you. And, and y'all just go with me. And if you've got your Bibles, look at them and follow through me, follow it through with me. And it says, be instant in season and out of season. Well, what does that mean? It means to be ready to give an answer of the reason of the hope that lies within you in meekness and in fear. That's in 1 Peter chapter 3 and 15. That, that's being ready to witness to these people. Be ready to give part of what God's given you. You can't save them, but you can lead them to the one who can. You can't get them out of those hell holes in the world, out of the the pits of sin in the world. You can't get them out of there on your own, but you can lead them to the one who can. Jesus Christ himself said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but I came that the world through me might be saved. He didn't come to just condemn us all and, and send us all to hell, but he, he came to deliver us from death, to deliver us from that. And you look and you look, here's the, the recipe that you have, and it's to be instant in season and out of season, so to be ready. But the first thing it gives us outside of that is to reprove. Well, in the year 2023, I guarantee you that most of us in our daily life and in our daily walk with God and, and everything else, we're, we're not asking God to reprove us, and we're not looking at our brother or sister and saying, we need to reprove this or to reprove this one or to reprove that one. So what that tells me is that we need to know the definition. Reprove means to excite a sense of guilt or to reprimand sin. So what does that sound like? If you just take that one by itself, what does that sound like? Well, that sounds like camp number one. What you're doing is wrong. This sin you're committing is wrong. You shouldn't do it. But here we are. We're here and we're, we're learning how to right now reprove this sin. And God even told us to reprove these sins. And then you look on to the next thing and it says rebuke. Well, they ain't many of us use the word rebuke in daily talk neither. So let's figure out what it means. And rebuke means to silence. Silence the world and the evil therein. When Satan comes at you and nags at you and says that you need to, to just stop, you need to give up, you need to sit down, you need to, to fold your arms and never do this again, that's when you silence the world. That's when you try your best to, to shut him out. Do like Jesus Christ done and say, Get thee behind me, Satan. Neither give place to the devil. Because the world is an enmity of God, is enmity of God. The flesh 
is a type of the world in the Bible, and, and you follow the typology of the flesh, and, and it is also a type of the world. And we know that us, as human beings, we have a sin nature, and we all commit sin, and we all do things that we shouldn't. But how many times have we heard Satan come to us? Well, you just need to give up. You don't need to follow this crowd anymore in church. You don't need to go to this service. You don't need to stand up and testify and sing this song and witness to this person. But that's recipe, or that's ingredient number two in the recipe. So, so far, we've, we've learned to reprove and to reprimand sin. And then we've learned to rebuke and to silence where the sin comes from. Again, that sounds like group number one that's sitting over there and, and saying, well, you ought to get out of that hellhole. You ought to get out of this place and that place and not be going these places with these people. And, and the ones that just yell at everybody and chew everybody out for whatever they've done wrong, they'll be quick to reprove and to rebuke. You go on down and you look in the verse and you find the word exhort. I guarantee you there ain't many of us use the word exhort neither. So what does that tell us? We need to find the definition. Exhort means to encourage and to embolden, to cheer and to advise, to take what's good and lift it up and give advice to help in whatever sin that might have a grip. Well, we can already say that that sounds like group number two. Group number two over here, they, they love to exhort, and they do. And that's a good work. But you take these people and you encourage and you're to, to build them up and find the good that's in there. Everybody has good in them somewhere if you look deep enough and you encourage that and you lift that up and you, you build that and you, you let them know that they have some good, good qualities in them. And if they're saved and they have Jesus Christ, let them know that they still have Jesus. Because saved folks can sin too. And if they've never been saved, let them know, hey, there is something better and you can escape this. And there's somebody deep down inside of you that's miserable. But they can be excited. They can be happy. They can feel free from all of this. We look on into ingredient number four. And you find long-suffering. To be patient and not easily provoked. Wait patiently for that one to come to the Lord. It's easy for us, group one especially, group two even. It's easy for us to get impatient. And to not be willing to wait on that one to move to the Lord. To come to church, to to get out of that sin life that they're living, to get out of, of their attitude and, their, and the things that they're doing. And, and so many times when somebody's lost or somebody's out in the world as a Christian, we look and we get impatient because, hey, they, they need to come back in. 
but we need to have long-suffering towards them, to be very, very patient with them, to keep praying, to keep pressing, knowing God hasn't forgotten. God has taken every one of those prayers and put them up in a vial in heaven, and one day we'll pour them out. But you have to trust God. Do your part and do the full work of an evangelist. But be patient. Sometimes we want to jump ahead of God and we want to try to do the working for God when God's already working, but we just try to come in there and and fix everything for Him, and all we do is make a big old mess of it. And God has to go back and fix our mess that we've made. You look on in the last ingredient that this passage is talking about, and it talks about doctrine. What is doctrine? I mean, it's it's learning or knowledge. It's and you ought to have knowledge on the subject that you have, and, and back that up with scripture. What you're telling them, back up with scripture. Well, who does that sound like? Somebody that just looks at you and says, "Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you." Give me scripture to back that up. Give me scripture to back up that God loves me even in my sin. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God loves the world. That is a doctrine. That is the gospel that we need to share. And here you are, and I guess you could say by way of recap, you take these things and you put them all together and, and to be instant in, in season and out of season, so to be ready, to approve, okay, reprimand your sin, to rebuke, that means to silence, to, to exhort, long-suffering doctrine. So if you read this verse again, be instant in season and out of season, approve, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. And if you put those five together, you have the perfect recipe to witness to somebody. Well, Grayson, what is that? That's the middle ground that we're talking about. It's easy to fall into one camp or the other to tell one side they're doing better than the other or to fall to one side and be more like this person or that person when in reality we need to be dead in the middle. Yes, we should reprimand sin. Yes, we should be like group number one and we should condemn it and we should not want to have any part of it, but we are all sin-filled creatures. I'm no better than you. You're no better than me. And if you think you are, you've got an issue with pride and that's a sin too. Well, that's bold, I know, (laughs) but it's the truth. And then you look at this other group and you see this other group and it's so easy to be like them as well and and you want to love and you want to love and love and love and love them back to Jesus. And that's good. But there's a way to do it. And I guarantee you, if you do it without God, you'll see to no avail. And, And it's easy to pick out all of the wrong in somebody and to tell everybody else what's wrong in their lives and to reprove them for that sin. And it'll be easy for you to reprove and rebuke that sin with no love. And when you don't have any love, that's where you get these folks that say Christians are judgmental. 
you don't give them any doctrine, any Bible to back up where you're getting that from, Christians are judgmental. And you sit there and you beat it like a dead horse and and you run them through the mud and they don't want to have no part of the church. And every single day when somebody goes to an individual and they're not under the unction of the Holy Ghost of God, they make more of a mess than they help them. This is to help me as well. To help you and me and anybody who, who might come across this to realize that we have to love and reprimand the sin. We have to be in that middle ground and not sway to one side or the other because our churches are at stake. Our families are at stake. Our friends are at stake. And what are we going to do about it? Are we going to puff our chest out and say we're better than everybody else and tell them that their sin's wrong? Are we going to see the sin in our own life? Tell somebody that we're the same way as you and give them the love of Jesus? Are we going to sit over here and we tell people, oh, we love you, we love you, we love you, and just let them do whatever they want to do and never look at them and say, hey, look, sin bringeth forth death but in love. The Bible says, Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote of, out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye. Then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. One thing we want to do when we were getting this podcast together is we wanted to be transparent with you. And we wanted to be honest with you and be real. There's been times in my life where I have been the biggest hypocrite that has walked the face of this earth. And the definition, and when you hear people in the world saying, well, Christians are nothing more than a bunch of hypocrites, I was that one. I could have fit that criteria. What do you mean? Well, I mean that I was living not bad, not doing anything terrible, but I was just not being what a, what a Christian, let alone a man of God, ought to be. And then there I was. I would go and I would tell somebody they were doing wrong, but I had a moat in my own eye, and I became a hypocrite. How many of us have unknowingly nev never even looked in our own eye, like the book of Matthew says, and, and looked in our brother's eyes and seen what was in his eye, but never took what was bigger in our life out? Well, why does the Bible say here that? that what's in your life's bigger than what's in your brother's because that can hurt you. You can't control what your brother does. You can lead him to Jesus, but you can only control what you do. And again, I'll say it, sin bringeth forth death. And if you have sin in your life, look at yourself in the mirror and you see it, God will forgive you. He'll take it and he'll cast it as far as, as far as the east is from the west. 
I don't care if you're saved or if you're lost or where you're at in life. God will help you with that. And you'll be free from the chains of those sins. You can look at, at the scripture and and you can you can find in places where the Bible actually talks about reproving in love. You find in the book of Jude, chapter 1, 22, verse 22 and 23, and if some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. What Jude's telling us here is, is there's some people that you're going to have to love, and you're going to have to make a difference in their life with that love before they'll ever consider coming to Jesus Christ, before they'll ever consider getting back in church. Then you've got another group of people, others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Some of these folks, you're going to have to get your hands dirty, and you're going to have to reach down and, and into the pit where they're at and go to them in love and to pull them out of it and say, the Lord loves you and he wants to help you. And the book of Jude also told us to hate even the garment that was spotted by the flesh. We ought to hate this world because we're not of it if we're saved. We ought to hate sin. Why? Because, again, it brings forth death. Death to what? Death to the individual. Death to the family. Death to the friend group. Death to the church. Death to the job. Anywhere sin gets in and sin creeps in, it will and it can and it has ruined lives. I heard a story one time of a girl. She had never been to church before a day in her life. And she had a friend from high school invited her to church. And so that girl woke up one morning and decided that she should go and she asked her friend, she said, what do I need to wear? She said, oh, you know, just a dress, nice clothes, wear nice clothes, that'll be fine. So this girl goes to her closet and she begins to look and she picks out the nicest clothes that she has. And she shows up to church that morning, sits with her friend on the back row and she walks in and she's got a crop top and a mini skirt on. And I guarantee you that every single one of us can sit here and say and know, especially those of us that were raised in church, know that that's not necessarily appropriate church attire not appropriate things to wear in the house of God. How do we know that? Because we were raised that way, but this girl wasn't raised that way. And the pastor of that church looked at that girl walking in and walked down there to her and said, you couldn't afford any more clothes? Never seen this girl before in her life. First time she'd ever been in church. She'd never been saved, never heard of Jesus, anything like that. And here she was, and that was the first thing that was said to her. And he looked directly at her, and he judged her, because of what her clothing was like. And then he turned around and, and she was upset and she was troubled, but she said, I'm going to sit here through service and I'm going to see what this is all about. And he went up and the, the choir got up and sung and then the preacher got up to preach and he stood up and in a holier-than-thou attitude, he started preaching on the dress at the church. Well, Grayson, are you saying we ought not preach and talk about how you ought to dress at church? No, you should. But do it in love. You should do it in a way that's pleasing to God, and I've never seen God do anything that wasn't in love. I've never seen Jesus Christ do anything that wasn't in love. 
But this man got up and he wrecked this young girl over the coals. Told her that because of what she was wearing, she was going to hell. And I guarantee you this, and you can find in your Bible and you can look and I can say on the authority of God's word that that girl was not going to hell because of what she was wearing. She was going to hell because of what happened in the garden when man became a fallen being and a fallen creature and fell from grace and from the Lord. That's why she would have died and she would have went to hell. And in love, if that message was preached in love and if he got up there and he began to preach, it don't matter who you are, where you come from, Jesus loves you and wants to save you. It would have made a difference in that girl's life. But instead, he wanted to get up there and to get on to her. And when he did, that girl stood up and walked out of the church before he even finished crying. Got in the car, crunk it, and said, I will never step foot into a church again. Because of one person's disobedience and one person wanting to be group number one that just condemns sin and condemns sin, and all it done was run her off. And there was no love in it. A saying I've heard all of my life is this. You catch more flies with honey than you do vinegar. And to be rude and to be prideful and all of these things, they are not in no way, shape, form, or fashion sweet. They're bitter. They hurt. They taste bad. They they turn people's noses up. But honey is sweet. Love is sweet. Patience is sweet. Exhortation is sweet. Rebuking in love is even sweet. If I hadn't had talks with my family and my mom and dad hadn't tried to raise me and to give me these talks and to tell me these things, I never would have known what was right and what was wrong. And I was told this, with good choices come good consequences and with bad choices come bad consequences. And my daddy poured that into me every time I got in trouble. And here I am at 24 and I still look back on that and know that with good choices come good consequences and bad choices come bad consequences. And why do I remember that? It wasn't because daddy yelled it at me and he didn't. It wasn't because it was said to me so mean because I'd done all these wrong things because I was a fairly good kid. But what it was, was Daddy saying it in love. And rebuke the sin and, the, and rebuke the wrong that I had done. And in love, built it back. In recap, we can look and we can say that we can stand in the middle ground. We need to stand in the middle ground between these two most common groups. And let God use us. In the way he sees fit. When you're speaking or teaching or preaching, remember the five ingredients of that scripture. And before you do any of that, examine yourself first. Say, God, is there any wicked way in me? And if there is, God will forgive you of that too. How do I know he's done that to me and does that to me all the time? He'll forgive you and then you can go and lead somebody else to, to Christ. But that is the end of the episode, or toward the end of the episode. We're going to kind of land the plane here. Um, I hope you enjoyed it, and 
And if you did, go on Facebook. You can find us at the Level Ground Podcast there. We're also uh, on Instagram at levelground.22. You can email us at levelgroundpod22 at gmail.com. But reach out to us. Tell us what you what you enjoyed about it and and here's what you got to look forward to. We're gonna have real talk about real topics. Things that we struggle with. Like like even today how we've talked about witnessing to people. We're gonna talk about sin, the church, salvation, the Bible. One thing near and dear to my heart, we're gonna cover anxiety and depression. We're going to have an episode where we talk about continuing the legacy and how to fill the shoes of those that's died and went on before us. I'm going to. Uh, we're planning on doing, getting some guys here with us and and doing interviews with Christians just like you. Maybe some that's in different places, but some that I'm sure would help you in a mighty way. And one day when we're going to build to this, we want to do a Q and A. Question and answer. You go on Facebook and you put in your your questions, and uh, we'll try to have an episode where we answer those questions and select a few of those questions. Um, and another thing before we sign off, if any of you need a Bible, find us on Facebook, find us online, uh, find us anywhere that you listen to this podcast. Find a way to reach out to us tell us you need a Bible. Give us your address and we'll send you a Bible free of charge. A good Bible to study with and we want to make sure that you get a copy of the Word of God in your hands. That's it today for the Level Ground Podcast. Until next time, stay grounded my friends.